the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Craziness on an airplane. And then we're joined by Scott McKnight and Cody Matchett to talk about their new book, Revelation for the Rest of Us. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends, happy Tuesday. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on a Tuesday afternoon. Aubrey, it's Tuesday. How are you today? It's Tuesday. There it is. That answers it. That's it how is. I am. How about you, Brian? I'm doing great today. It's been a just a fine day. Glad that everybody out there is joining us. All right. This isn't where I was going to start today, but you ready? I was watching the Today Show today. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Get it? Yes. Watching the Today Show. Good one. And uh, here was their first story. It was of craziness on an airplane. I think I know the story you're going to share, but go ahead. So we're watching, and I'm like, oh, what's, what, what are they going to talk about? What are they going to talk about? And all of a sudden... Uh, they do this story where a guy, and I'm sure there was mental illness. The, the guy seemed crazy, but they're flying from L.A. to Boston okay. yesterday. And about 45 minutes before the flight was done, before they landed, yes, he started trying to open the emergency door. No, no, no. This is not the story I thought you were going to tell. And then, this is where it turns dark, I will, I will warn people, before he was subdued. He, it's weird because people are filming because that's all that happens now, right? Yes. And people think he's just yelling. And then he rushes basically <gasps> like this flight attendant. No. And had created, he had, now we're never going to have spoons anymore on airplanes. Oh, I'm warning you because he had no. a metal spoon from the airline. Metal spoon? And he had fashioned it into a knife. Are you kidding me? No. And he tried to attack and was unsuccessful. And then, as you would guess, all these people rushed him. And, um, and are there still and air marshals on plane or is that day and age so. over? Yeah. I don't know, actually, to that wow. question. And so uh, they finally landed a plane, but they were like, this guy was obsessed with the emergency door. Like, even apparently going on the flight, he was sitting by it, and he asked somebody near him, like, how do you open this thing? No. Like, is this? But no, but you wouldn't think anything of it if somebody no. asked you that. You'd be like, oh, they're just kind of looking at the door and this and that. Tried to open and made some dark comments that made you think, like, that he wasn't Something all there. he wasn't okay. Yeah. But here's what it got me. First of all, what would you do in that scenario? I told my wife today, I would like to be like... Because you saw people on the on the in the video like rush them, yeah, and then a couple like everybody, and then some other guys got up and like yeah. rushed, but they were never going to get to him. I'm like, I want to be those people, <laughs> the ones that are like quote unquote yes. helping, but really you don't. Like I'm in this, I'm in this, but like I was never near. You know what's funny is I so you, you people would not think this about me, but I. My fight or flight mechanism, it tends to be in some of those situations, fight. And so Kevin sometimes will have to be like, you need to walk away. Because I think I would have been like, bro, what are you doing? Give me the knife. And like would have put myself in harm's way. And like I'm not 
agile. You know what I mean? I'm not like, so I'm not going to be someone to rescue other people from a knife. If anything, like he's going to knife me and I'll like take it for everybody. Yes. But like my instinct would still make me want to try to protect everybody. Yeah. It was interesting to watch it play out. He was obviously arrested and, uh, and I was trying to think to myself, I don't fly that much, but the people were just, you could tell literally they're filming. Some people are filming this guy just yelling in this net and people terrifying. Yeah. But everyone else scared, but everybody, that you could see in the video looked like they had their headphones in. They were just kind of like, whatever. They're like, do, they do, do, no big deal. And then it turned quickly. So Yikes. here's what it got me thinking, right? Yikes. Besides just a crazy story. Yeah. And there does seem a lot of like airline stories these days or whatever else. Interesting. Is this all post-COVID? Like but, we're yeah, seeing the trauma play out now? But it spoke for me as I was watching this going, like, our world is pretty crazy and random. Like the randomness of it, and I don't want to get super dark, but we can all think of historical events, 9-11 or other things where sure. if this one thing had been different or this, there seems yeah. like a randomness mm. to the craziness. Mm. But it's also crazy. Like nobody got on that airplane being like, well, some guy's going to try to open the door no. and he's going to try to stab a flight Definitely attendant. Not. Like, yeah. For many people, the craziness and the randomness of the craziness is completely unsettling. Like, what do we do? Yeah. We could have people listening right now. Christ follower or not Christ follower, though I do think that makes all the difference in the world. Uh, what do you, how, how do you help people process or process for yourself the randomness and the craziness of the world that we live in? So, I mean, I do want to be, be careful because we're using, uh, okay, if this person was mentally ill, that's not what you're talking about when you're saying the craziness of the world. Sure, like, let's sure. assume that person needs help. Okay. I'm, I'm saying we're that, talking like, about the random, yeah. Unhinged when yes. you're like, whoa, anything could happen at any moment. So this is probably like a very, um, this is going to sound very spiritual and biblical, but uh, I tend to believe in Genesis talks quite about quite a bit about this not actually doesn't Genesis sort of talks about this that like evil is chaos right Mm -hmm. in in fact there are some old you know myths or even like meta stories that refer to evil as chaos with a capital C right and what we see in Genesis what the writers of Genesis tried to or the storytellers of Genesis tried to tell us was that the world was chaos chaotic the world was formless god brought order to it and so when we experience things that feel chaotic and feel disordered and are crazy as you said i tend to go yeah of course it is because Mm -hmm. that's evil that's sin that's that's forces at work that aren't that are opposed to god who brings order and brings definition and brings um boundaries to things and I'm not what I mean I know some people are like and therefore your house needs to be orderly and you're <laughs> that's not what I mean I'm talking in more of the spiritual like cosmic sense mm-hmm. of the words yeah so yeah. that's how I make sense of it honestly it's like well yeah of course it's chaotic that's what evil does and that's who evil is what do you struggle with more the randomness of like I could be walking down the road and something completely random can happen that will alter my life, you know, right. end my life, alter my life. Karen alter my Swallow family. prior getting hit by a bus. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and we all know those stories mm-hmm. where you start to go crazy. Kind like, oh, freak only this happens. So do you struggle more with that or just the, I, I guess they're one in the same, but just the brokenness of the world. Like, I think oh. I struggle more with, they also seem random, but the larger, like the tornado in mm-hmm. uh, tornadoes that destroy homes. 
hurricanes, uh, this uh, uh, natural earth or uh, natural disasters. N- thank you. Yep. Natural disasters. This devastating situation in Turkey just a few weeks ago, like uh, war in Ukraine. Those are the kind of things that I'm like, well, God, you could have actually stopped mm, it. And I know yeah. God could stop the evil random things, too. But it's like the the freak accidents. I'm kind of like. Okay, that was weird. Yeah. I, don't know, I don't know what category to put that in. But when it's a natural disaster and you are someone who believes and preaches and proclaims that God has sovereignty over everything, that one's hard for me to sit with. Yep. Like, yep. I don't understand, God, why you didn't stop this from happening when... I say you are all powerful, mm. and I know you could have. Yeah, yeah, it's a struggle. And it's the oldest question in the book, it right? It is, and they're both a struggle. Where's God in the midst of, obviously, nothing happened to this plane, but we all can all think of much greater things that have happened that seem random that mm-hmm. are devastating. Mm-hmm. Or, like you said, a, uh, an earthquake in Turkey or a yeah. tornado or whatever. Where's God in the midst of those? Yeah. And we always, you know, if you've been with the show, you know, we talk about God's presence. We talk about God's ultimate victory mm-hmm. uh, in Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. and we hold on to those things. But man, our world does seem to be, not, it shouldn't come as a surprise to us, but like you turn on the news and you're just like, that's a weird story. It's I feel like it's weird. that, I feel like this is what I love about God's word. There's so much that it speaks to, right? And, and that guy pr- telling Jesus, like, I believe, but help my unbelief. It's mm-hmm. like, that's the space I feel like some of these questions live in that space between believe and unbelief. Right? right. And you just have to say to God, like, I I don't know how to make sense of this. Yep. Yep. So there you go. That was how my day started watching the Today Wowza. Show. What a Tuesday morning you had. Today. Coming up next, we are thrilled to be joined by authors Scott McKnight and Cody Matchett. They have together written a fascinating new mm-hmm. book called Revelation for the Rest of Us. If you are fascinated by the book of Revelation, but going, I have no idea what to do with this. I promise this will be 10 minutes of your time very well spent. Absolutely. So join us next. We're going to talk that book with Scott McKnight and Cody Matchett here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. There's a fascinating book that not just for pastors like us who are like, oh, my gosh, I want to eat this thing up. Right. But, but you'll see in the title of the book, this is a book for everybody. And it tackles one of the most confusing books of the Bible. <laughs> and that is the book of Revelation. We're thrilled to be joined by the author Scott McKnight and Cody Matchett to talk about their new book, Revelation for the Rest of Us. And uh, guys, so glad to have mm-hmm. you on. So Scott, here. Scott, let me uh, start with you. Uh, why'd you choose to write this? Why even dive into a book like Revelation? Well, the major reason is, uh, let's say, twofold. Number one is uh, I grew up in a world that spent oodles and oodles of hours speculating on who in the modern world, who in Russia, who in Israel, (laughs) who in the United States, who in Europe might correspond to the beast of Revelation, uh, the dragon. So I grew up in a world speculating like this, and here's what I discovered, that every one of them was wrong. (laughs) And I read uh, Jewish literature. It's Mm. called apocalyptic literature. And I was convinced that the, the approach of speculating who might be doing what, fails the book at the level of the Christian life. It fails to understand the book itself. And so uh, in teaching a class, working with Cody, we decided to put together a book that we think will make better sense of the book and help people as they seek to live the Christian life. 
mm. in our world and able to detect, let's say, uh, power's gone astray, mm. empire ideology at work today. Mm. I'm so thankful for this because I do feel like Though just weird interpretations you get when people sort of remove revelation from both its context and its literary genre. It just it gets so wacky. So thank you for writing Mm -hmm. this. Cody, why don't you talk to us about that? Scott just mentioned Empire, and I know that it is a massive theme throughout Revelation. What in the world is John talking about? Yeah, one of the convictions uh, for us in writing the book, and this first started with Scott, but, you know, Scott wrote a book on uh, Romans called Reading Romans Backwards, and uh, Scott told the story a few times, but, you know, someone asked him once, uh, are there other books of the Bible that you think we should for sure read backwards? And uh, Scott always thought we need to read Revelation backwards, and by that he meant, and this was a conviction we came to as we were writing the book, that if we're going to understand Revelation, we really need to start with chapter 17 and 18. Mm. John really has his eyes on what he calls Babylon. In his context, Babylon is Rome. But one of the things that we try to articulate in the book as clearly as we can is Babylon is timeless. Mm. That every age and every time has these empires and these nations that rise up, as Scott mentioned, that use these powers. And so if we're going to read Revelation faithfully, we need to recognize that John has an eye in one of two places at all times. One, He has his eyes on the powers of Babylon, the powers of our world that are trying to sort of lure or pull Christians sort of into into or under its sway. And he has his eye on the church. John is what we call a double dissident. He's looking at Rome. He's looking at the church. He sees too much of Rome in the church Mm. and not enough of the church in Rome. And so John is trying to call them to faithfulness to Jesus as they live in the midst of empire. So good. That is so good. Again, the book is called Revelation for the Rest of Us. We can't encourage you enough to go get it. So, Scott, most people read Revelation. I grew up this way as well as only future. It's just about the future, Mm. you know, dragons and Antichrist and everything else. Should it only be read as the present? Is that what you guys are saying? Or is there also a future element to the book of Revelation? That's a good question. Uh, There is a present, you know, as Cody just said, Babylon is timeless. It's an an image. It's a trope. It's something that always can apply to every world. And yet, there is in the book a prophetic theme that someday God will conquer all evil, all injustice— Uh, all exploitation, all murderousness, all anti-God stuff, all the militarism of this world, uh, all the arrogance, all the domination, and bring justice and Mm -hmm. peace for the people who follow the way of the Lamb. And so the final vision of Revelation, and Cody just brought this up, that we really believe that the book needs to be read backwards, uh, also includes the New Jerusalem. Hmm. So the all the judgments, what they're typically called, we like to call them disciplines, all the disciplines of the middle of the book uh, are about erasing evil and bringing justice into this world. Hmm. Hmm. And someday that justice will be established where God is on the throne. Hmm. Hmm. Amen. Hmm. Um, so, Cody, I, you know, I don't know how much you go into this in the book, but... As far as application for the reader today, like, I guess, what are Mm -hmm. some of your hopes that as people begin to parse out and recognize, oh, here's where empire has crept into the church here, here, oh, here's where toxic powers here, you know, as readers start to recognize that, what what are your hopes? Yeah, that's a really great question. Thank you. I think as we 
get a vision for what it is that John is trying to communicate, inspired by the Spirit, to these seven churches in Western Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. I think for us, as we recognize that we're living in Babylon, I think we recognize that there is kind of a call and an urgency to follow Jesus faithfully, to observe what he's given us to observe in the moment that we're in, in the Babylon that we live in today. And so some of the things we dive into later in the book are uh, worship and the ways in which our worship is central. It forms us. Mm. Um, That witness is a key term in Revelation. And that is to say it's a speak up and speak out term. Are we witnessing to the true king and the true Lord of lords? And allegiance, or what we typically translate as faith, plays a key role. Where is our allegiance? Is it to Babylon, mm. or is it to the new Jerusalem that is that is coming? Uh, it, it, it's future, but it's all it's also present. And so uh, we end the book with a bit of a, what we call a manifesto for dissident disciples. And we're hopeful that we can we can come back to these sort of central pieces of what it looks like to worship in Babylon even today. Mm. Uh, Scott, most pastors out there, myself included, are terrified to preach the book of Revelation. Uh, And I would guess most pastors have just avoided it altogether. It feels like this book is saying, no, no, this couldn't be a more important book for you in today's age in the church. Why don't you give an encouragement to pastors out there, uh, you know, to 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 you to uh, to go ahead and preach the revelation? Well, here's the issue. Those people in in their churches have been listening to the speculators so long, they all think that's what the book is about. And they want to know, what do you believe about the rapture and the millennium and uh, Israel and the United States? Well, we think that completely fails to read the book well. Mm -hmm. The book is about how to live as a dissident disciple, as a disciple who resists empire in this world, Mm. uh, as someone who follows Christ. So, so Brian and Aubrey, I would say it this way. The speculative approach, the speculation approach to the book of Revelation teaches Christians that it's all in the future. Mm-hmm. They don't have to worry about being there and that they're going to escape all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's not really for them. It's just kind of fun to try to spend our time reading the newspaper and figure out who's who. <laughs> well, I think that completely fails the book. The book is an, is a, an exhortation to Christians in Western Asia Minor that they are called to follow Jesus, the way of the Lamb, in the world that is dominated by empire, by false powers, by idolatrous ways, and what it looks like to live a Christian life in that world. Mm-hmm. As a result of the speculation approach, most Christians in the United States, let's say evangelical Christians, have never developed a theopolitical discipleship, hmm. a discipleship that understands the way of God in this world for those who are engaged in the political process. It's mm, so good. The name of the book, Revelation for the Rest of Us, the author Scott McKnight and Cody Matchett. We can't encourage you enough. Go pick up this book, again, called Revelation for the Rest of Us. Scott, Cody, this has been wonderful. Thanks for this book. Thanks for spending some time with us yeah, today. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Aubrey. Yep. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Get ready. We're both pastors. Love to say it to people. Uh, And so, but also 
I think probably, I almost said this separately, but I think one reason we are pastors is because we love the Bible. Oh, like we totally. We want to say, yes. you know, you're writing books that, that are grounded in Scripture. We're trying to yes. preach sermons that are as well. And so we found this interesting one over at Church Leaders, and, and I think this is good not just for pastors, but for all of us. Twelve challenging Old Testament verses uh, that that challenge me but are good to memorize. All right. So he's going. This is written okay. by Chuck Lawless, who I said has the best name for to be writing about the Old <laughs> Testament. Uh, he's going to take 12 verses. And again, he's writing this to church leaders, but he's saying, I daily need the truth of God's mm, word to guide yes. me and give me hope. These Old Testament verses are particularly challenging to me, and perhaps they will be to you as well. In fact, think about memorizing them. Like I would normally think That's these cool. are really challenging to me, so therefore ignore them. But he's saying, <laughs> take the difficulty internalize and them. them. You know what I'm really bad at? Memorizing. memorizing Bible verses. I think are I told you. Are you bad at actually doing it? Are you bad at ever even starting the process? Or you're like, no, I'm memorizing, but I can't like it's actually like do it. It's like the remembering and then the recall. Like, I swear half the time I'll start to recall it. And I like midway through the verse, I'm like, ew, just make up the rest of it. Like, yeah. it's so bad. Like, especially for someone, bad is a strong word to say, but for someone who preaches and teaches, I'm like, I should have a better grasp of, it is though, once you preach on a, Scripture, I feel like it's more internalized, at least mm. for me. But to say, I mean, I think it was last year or two years ago, it was my goal to memorize one verse a month. And I even had an app that helped me in like little faux tattoos that helped me. And so I got some, faux but tattoos. like even those now, I'm like, what did I memorize? I don't even remember. I think I'm just an old lady. You know, what's interesting is you've shared many times that in college you were in the theater. I, I was. The theater. And, uh, and, that is a lot. I've never been in the theater, but it feels like that's a lot of memorization. It's a lot of uh, rehearsal. So you end up internalizing the things for a season. But it's not like if you told me now to go through my lines from bronze from Braun by Ibsen, I would not remember. Is that right? Okay. Yeah, so it's like you when know, you, it's like when I can you study sort of remember Henry V, but uh, yeah, it's like you remember for the for the task. And then you let it go. Did you just call Henry V Henry V? Yes. Is that is that like theater language? The Henry V prologue. It's like a thing people talk about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. So I sort Again. of remember that because I spent some time rehearsing that. But okay. like, I don't know. It, I, you know, it'd be nice. This is why I love songs that are scripture based because that's what people remember. There's truth the to that. Why scripture memorization? Why is it, you and I have just talked about why it's difficult or why we fail at it, but why is it an important spiritual discipline, <laughs> all being from our lack of encouragement to people? <laughs> I'm laughing a little bit because, you know, when I was younger, I used to try to memorize scripture because people were always telling me, they're going to take your Bibles away and you're going to be in jail somewhere <laughs> underground and you're going to wish you knew God's word, but you didn't do a good job memorizing. It was very fear-based. I actually think the reason that we, I mean, scripture talks about hiding God's word mm -hmm. in our heart and memorization is a way to, to do that, to internalize the word of God so that we, um, you know, the Holy spirit, like can bring it to mind at a moment or just so that we're meditating on God's word. And, you know, instead of all the other things we meditate on and I think it's just a way to yeah. like, if you love something, you consider it right. And you dwell on it. I think, memorization is a way to do That's that. Right.
you you memorized as a kid because of the oncoming persecution. A hundred percent. I memorized because I would memorize it like like I'm studying for a test in the car on the way to Sunday school because you, you knew. You got prizes or something? You either got prizes oh, yeah. or it was like going over like a couple weeks. You'd get the sticker and if you the completed sticker. it. See, I missed the Sunday school days. See, that would have been good. You yes. did it for like left behind reasons. <laughs> you did it for totally. like Kurt Cameron movie reasons. hundred percent. Kurt Cameron made me memorize scripture. I did it as a child yeah. because I <laughs> like candy. <laughs> you know, Kevin was a Nawana kid, so he did it for that Timothy Award, I think is what it's called, That's like funny. to get like the jewels in his crown. He was like, I was the best. That's I was like, going to win everything. It's like Pavlov's dog right now. If like I if I thought of a scripture that I had to memorize as a kid, my You're mouth like, starts watering. You put your hand out to me. I'm like, what yes. are you waiting for? Like, where's my candy, Aubrey? All right. So he went Old Testament, which wow, is interesting. Oh, yeah. Again, this is towards church leaders, but I think this is applicable to all. So ready? I'm going to read them. I'm going to ask you, like, good. Did, did he do a good job okay, with what yes. this means? How we can apply this to our life? Or eh. gotcha. All right, gotcha. Chuck Lawless, Genesis four seven. If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. He says, as a leader, I'm foolish if I don't recognize that sin is ever crouching at my door. Sure. Seems good. Yeah, seems great. Yeah, right. I'm I'm struck by how much of this scripture reminds you of Genesis of Genesis 3. What are you talking about? It's desire it's desire is for you but you must rule over it, right? Is that's sort of the inverse of God's Oh, I got gotcha. you. Curse on Eve, right? So you're going much deeper than should we memorize that verse or not? Okay. <laughs> Deuteronomy 7, verse 22. The Lord your God will drive out these nations before you little by little. He says, I'm an impatient leader who needs to remember that sometimes God gives the land according to his time schedule. In fact, he always. So he's going with the little by little here. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think it's a little bit of a stretch to make that application they're, from they're it. all going to be stretches. But sure. Sure. Uh, jo- Joshua 1.9, very famous verse. Haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do mm-hmm. not be afraid or discouraged. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He says, I can be afraid and discouraged, so I need this verse in my pocket. I, I think this is a good one. I do love that passage of scripture so much. I do think sometimes we forget that that's like war rhetoric and Joshua and the team are about to over, or at least attempt to overrule the Babylonians. So are we talking about, I, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if it's okay to take these texts and just make them about whatever we yeah. want them to be. So as but I who, love the scripture. As one who had Joshua 1-9 in his sermon this past week, I'm going with it. <laughs> okay, going, okay. Going. All right. No, I, I know. I do this all the time. So, okay. Okay. Uh, Judges 7-2. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many troops for me to hand the Midianites over to them, or else Israel might elevate themselves over me and say, I saved myself. Mm. Even though I'm sometimes weak, see number three above, he says, I'm more often too strong and confident in myself. Mm. I need God to break me. That's good. I like that one. That's good. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 47b. It's the second half of the verse. I wonder what the first half of the verse says. For the battle is the Lord's. It's Mm. never my battle unless I choose to fight it on my own. And that's not very smart. Good. Yes. Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. 
B. <laughs> we do not know what to do, but we look to you. Oh, that's good. So there you go. That's really good. Nehemiah 1.4. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept. Mm. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He says, I want my heart to be that tender. Mm. Okay. That's good. Job 1 verse 22. Throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God mm. for anything. Wow. I think we know where that one's coming yeah, from. Yeah, that's a good one. Couple more. Psalm chapter 19, verse 10. B. The ordinance of the Lord are sweeter than honey, which comes from the honeycomb. He says, I want God's word to be that for me. All right. I'm waiting for an A. There's no A's here. There's no A's. He likes B's. Three more. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and call him Emmanuel. He preaches this. He says that God is with us, especially at the Christmas season, but I need to remember it all the year long. That's right. Yep. Emmanuel. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. I chose you before I Mm. formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. That's such a beautiful passage of scripture. And the last one, Malachi chapter one, verse eight. When you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not wrong? And when you present a lame or sick animal, is it not wrong? What do you think he's going to say there? Uh, Something about not bringing God your best. That's exactly right. This verse usually changes my direction. He says, Uh, when I want to give God less uh, than he says. I find that helpful. This is great. Good job. Sometimes it's good just to read read scripture for you. I love that. And there you go. We're going to go a hard right turn. You want to know what we're going to do next? Yes. We're going to do Grinds My Gears. Coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm, and that music just reminds us there are times we just need to get stuff off our chest. Mm -hmm. And that's what we call Grinds My Gears. Before we get into that, though, let me tell you something exciting. Grinds My Gears is kind of complainy, but let me tell you about something exciting. You can join Mercy Me on their Always Only Jesus Tour on Friday, March 24th at the Airy Crown Theater in Chicago. You'll hear old music along with music from their new album. Tickets start at $22. And for more information or to get your tickets, just visit mercyme.org. That's mercyme.org. All right, Aubrey. Grinds My Gears is set up for not to discuss the big things of this world, not to unpack, you know, not to try to figure out like we've been talking to SOS International, right? That's not what we're doing in Grinds My Gears. That has its own place and it's a much greater importance. Absolutely it is. Unbelievably greater importance than the things we're going to talk about. But if we don't deal with these things, then they become big things. Mm, So that's the heart of Grinds My Gears. I'll go first. Okay. I would like to hearken back to an old Grinds My Gears. (gasps) Would you? Because it happened again. What? So this past weekend, we went up to visit my daughter at at her college in Holland, Michigan. Love Holland, Michigan. Cute downtown. We're walking. So uh, we went out for dinner Saturday night to a place called the New Holland Brewery. Love the place. Okay. Your typical bar and grill type of place. And then afterwards, the kids uh, were like, hey, let's go. They, They wanted, even though they were stuffed, they decided we want dessert. 
Yeah. Because they know across the street from the New Holland Brewing Company uh, is a Kilwins ice cream. Oh, I love Kilwins. Full of ice the cream. pretzel cones. Mm. Co- fudge, mm. all of it, right? So, so good. of course, we're like, sure, let's go get it. I am so full, but still got myself some ice cream. So we walk in, and what happens but uh, the kids order... So it was just Jackson and Emily and myself who got ice cream. Madeline and Carrie did not. They were smart. They were like, well, we just They're ate like, dinner. They're like, we're full. We might burst if we have more. So uh, they we get each get our ice cream. I go up to the cash register and it's, you know, put your card in. Yes. And the girl goes, uh, it, you know, she goes, it's going to prompt you first if you would like <laughs> to tip Oh, yeah, you hate those. And then you choose, and then it'll walk you through the rest of the time. Uh And I'm like, okay. (laughs) An ice cream place, I can justify it a little bit more. Because they do scoop it out. Right, right. Uh, But it reminded me because you go to Panera. Yes. It feels like not anywhere. It feels everywhere Everywhere. you go right now. Yeah. They have figured out a way to game the system. Yes. Where it's like this. You're going to put your card in here. Yes. And it's going to ask you, do you want to tip? Right. And they're going to stare at you. And they're going to stare at you. They are going to stare. It's in front of them. Yes. This girl. That's the worst part. uh, And I gave her a small tip. But this girl is is like, we are three feet from each other. (laughs) With only like a small, you know, yeah. de- whatever counter between us. Right. And she's just watching me. And I'm like, okay. They must train them to do that. Just stare at the person. I have a choice at this moment. Right. It is. And usually I choose the no tip. Yeah. But that comes with consequences. Them staring you down. Right. Or I can choose. And here's the next thing. <laughs> they give you options for tips. They do. 10%, 20%, Who's tipping the ice cream, girl? 20%. I mean, that's a big tip on ice cream. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So now the secondary choice is, do I tip other? Oh, and make up your own. And be like 5%. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, they didn't go serve my meal or whatever. They didn't serve I've your meal. just come out of like an yeah. expensive day. It wasn't that expensive, but five five of us. That's expensive. A, and, and you got to tip at that one. Right. I think that something must be done about the tip culture, tip culture. (laughs) There are things that deserve to be tipped and I will tip them generously, but there are things that do not fall underneath the category of tip. And now all of a sudden we've blurred those lines Mm -hmm. and it's got to stop. You know, I was venting about tipping with a neighbor of mine. She's a much better human being than I am because she was like, Oh, I love tipping the whoever, the ice cream store person. In fact, I'll just carry cash with me because I want to bless them with a cash <laughs> tip and look them in the eye. And I was like, well, aren't you a good human being? Good for you. But yeah, I do think tipping culture has gotten a little out of control. I, I Yes, 100% at restaurants, 100%. Especially if you're the praying person at the restaurant, you yes. got to tip well. But there are some situations where you're like, really? Really? Am I supposed to? 20%? I mean, yeah, it's hard. It's it, hard also because things are just expensive right now, and a tip feels like a luxury I can't afford to pay. And here's the deal. Your neighbor who wants to give a tip to the ice cream yeah. girl, and like that makes her feel good, yeah. and it makes them feel good, nobody is stopping them from doing no, it. No, that's true. She should keep on doing it. But 
to have it stare at you mm-hmm. from uh, in where you've just put in your credit card, mm-hmm. knowing they're looking at you. That's the worst part. It feels like this needs to stop. It, it, culturally, we need to rise up against the uh, the the lack of tip shaming that is so, going on. Tip shaming. Yeah. So what do we do? What are the places that are uh, hairdresser? Tip, no tip. That's a tip. Okay. Obviously restaurants. Tip, tip no tip. It's the gray it's the gray restaurant, the gray area restaurant. The pseudo restaurant. Where ice I cream store, or- coffee shop. Well, it's actually not that difficult because I have ordered myself. Yes. And then I have gone to a counter where to my pick it up yourself. Like it's never in the history of, of restaurants have I given a tip because you made the food back mm. there. Tipping mm. is always about service. Mm. And so uh, that seems to be the differentiation, but that's where this is getting blurred. So if you're at a table and they bring you the food, tip. If you pick it up yourself, no tip. I agree. So this is a Panera. We got to talk about Panera in this scenario because they expect tips there, but I don't think anyone should be tipping at Panera. Not a chance in the mm-hmm. world. Now, Panera. Because you get your own food. Panera, I tend to just go to the kiosk. And put yes. it all in there. Yes. But no, a place like Panera, a place like Chipotle, yeah. a place like any of McDonald's. those. McDonald's. Any of those. Yeah. There is not a chance in the world but that you should be tipping. But if you have to tipping. start tipping at McDonald's, that's when it's gone way too far. Yeah, you just won't go that's anymore. That's food is where it's, yeah, I feel like a, I draw Here's an line. idea. How about Panera, Chipotle, these types of places, ice cream place up there? Mm-hmm. Pay your people enough so they don't need me to tip them. <laughs> how about that? It's not on me to do how about, it. How about we do that, <laughs> Starbucks? I was only thinking Starbucks when they got the tip jar. I know. I'm like, come on. Tipping. In fact, the credit card at Starbucks asks you the same thing. The credit card at Starbucks says, you know how you kind of get around it with the Starbucks app? Because they, they, I don't think yeah. that has confi- been configured 100%. for a tip. 100%. So I'm always like, are, is that going to change soon? Are they going to start getting you with that? So I'm going to rage about this every time it happens. Okay. But it's going to, I fear it's going to happen more, not less. Okay. Well, I don't have much, but I will share something that happened in studio very briefly. Mm-hmm. Um. I tend to eat snacks during our recording, which makes Brian mad. So during okay, our show, I, which I will, makes I'll let you do this. Brian mad. But la- two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we were in the studio, and Brian grabbed my protein bar mid <laughs> me eating it and literally chucked it in the garbage. I did. And that was my whole snack for the day. I did do and that. And I, I was really, I was livid. It grinds my, it grinds my it. gears. He couple, did. A couple different And he points. just giggled like a little kid. I loved it. Coupled it because of the shock on your face. One. I was really, I was one, mad. you make it seem like we were in a break. We were in the middle of an interview. No, I said we were in the middle of the show. Two, if anyone was really listening uh-huh. to about 30 seconds ago. Or right tr- now. Yeah, you had to pause because you were eating something. No, I don't pause. You I did? never pause. I just kind of push it over in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love it. All right. So probably was an overreaction on my part. And I apologize. Thank but, you. I've been waiting for this apology for a while. what people should know is it's not just that you do it while we're talking. You usually don't eat until the moment we start talking. There's some truth to that. That's a fair it's critique. Like, That's a fair critique. We just had two minutes that you yeah. could have scarfed that. You you're could right. have a whole sandwich. You're right. And you're usually right. it's like, hey, welcome back to... And all of a sudden I look over and you're, you're eating. Right. And I'm like, what just fair, happened? Fair. I just get hungry. I don't know. I just fair. get hungry, Brian. Mama's got to eat. <laughs> Mama's got to eat. Well, that grinds my gears. I want you to think of us next time you're at a Panera, at a Chipotle, and somebody's going, would you like to tip? And then they stare, a death stare at you. <laughs> we'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. 
For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.